Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. This week, we will vote to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for his willful and systemic refusal to enforce our immigration laws. These articles are the product of a deliberate, thoughtful, and fair investigation. There is no greater impeachable offense than for an officer of the United States to violate their oath. You have a short time coming. You can honorably resign or we are going to impeach you. And it's happening very, very soon. On this vote, the yeas are 214 and the nays are 216. The resolution is not adopted. Well, that was a beautiful, beautiful thing that happened this week, and deservedly so. But we're not really going to give it any airtime because it was a colossal sham. And we're going to move on, as we all should from that. We have a great guest for you today. Michael Cohen is back to help us unpack all the Trump legal stuff this week. But first, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe and rate and review. And you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. Here's some feedback we recently received. On our interview with Dateline NBC's Josh Mankiewicz, Stephanie Grisham writes, So jealous, I'm addicted to Dateline. Zena says, The best. Phyllis Stein says, I love Dateline. Both he and Keith Morrison are great. And S.E. Cup says, Oh my God, this is everything. I love him. On our conversation with presidential historian Alexis Coe, and on her book, about George Washington, you never forget your first. Gina Walker Fox writes, I loved this book. All right, those were some good conversations. Let's get to our two big things. The first of which, as always, Donald mm. Trump. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, he had a busy week. Well, I think he's going to have a win this week, you know, on the subject of the 14th Amendment. It does definitely mm-hmm. look like the court's going to go on his side on this. Yeah, uh, that was an interesting hearing, for sure. As a reminder, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, the gist of it is that someone who's engaged in insurrection or aided and provided comfort to insurrectionists can't hold office. But he's not going to win the presidency, and likely this is going to go against Colorado, and he will be on the ballot, and that'll be it. I definitely agree. I think, actually would agree with the decision if they put him back on the ballot in Colorado and Maine. I don't think this is the way to deal with Trump, unfortunately. Well, it just depends on how closely we want to adhere to the Constitution. And I guess that's up for interpretation, obviously, as we heard the other day in court. The framers of the 14th Amendment didn't, in my opinion, do a really good job at being specific. And that's the problem. It's the problem with anything in law. Unless it's black and white, you can drive a Mack truck through it. That's a, a job of a lawyer is to interpret things in a way that benefits his or her client. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to go with what Elena Kagan said in the arguments. And she's very uncomfortable with the idea that a state can individually take a national election into their own hands. And that's really problematic. And Katanji Brown-Jackson, who I adore was not really favorable to this idea either so 
I think that it's problematic to take someone off the ballot when it's a national election because it could be problematic for Democrats or Republicans. Well, again, it depends on how you want to dissect and define the term problematic. If you are purely looking at textual constitutional law, that's one thing. If you want to then say, but it may end up a political shitstorm or blah, 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 then you're not really adhering to the Constitution or the law. You're interpreting based on what you predict may or may not happen in the future as a, re as a result of said ruling. I personally would like to see the letter of the law followed. And speaking of textualists, what happened to states' rights? The whole point of federalism is that states get to decide what happens in their state. And in this case, a state political party should have the right to decide what happens in its state's election. I'm going to disagree, but I'm not just based, saying... But based on what? I mean, none other than Chuck Rosenberg, who was former chief counsel at the FBI, and mm -hmm. I think we all respect, thinks that this is not an interpretation of the 14th Amendment that he agrees with in terms of your... Sure, I can, so, I can so I'm see your Chuck Rosenberg of, and raise you a Lisa Rubin, and I've, no, I've seen the two just, of them side by side sure, yesterday sure. debating this. The job of the Supreme Court, not Chuck Rosenberg, is to interpret the Constitution. And if this is a majority ruling, which it certainly looks like it's mm -hmm. going to be, and it might even be almost unanimous, maybe unanimous, I'm going to think that they are doing the right thing. But the law is complicated. And exactly. if you are a Republican Supreme Court, if you are a Trump-appointed conservative su Supreme Court, which three of those justices are, you are human and you shall interpret that the way you wish. And that's the problem with the 14th Amendment, Section 3. There's also the 15th Amendment, which we don't really hear many people talk about, but that says the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. This is what's important. The whole point of keeping Trump off the ballot is not because it's a partisan witch hunt or revenge. It's because the man tried to subvert democracy and take away an individual's right to vote, in this case, in Colorado. And for anyone out there who's concerned whether or not Trump's an insurrectionist or not, let's just revisit that for a second. He conceived, planned, incited, and executed the January 6th riot. He tweeted beforehand, be there. It's going to be wild. Uh, the magnometers, you know, the things that, like at the airport that keep you from bringing guns into something, he wanted them taken down, angrily wanted them taken down. Why? Because he said, quote, they're not here to hurt me. These are people with guns are not here to hurt me. So he knew that people were coming in with weapons. He told them at his rally at the Ellipse, march to the Capitol, fight like hell, take back your country. And then he did nothing except watch TV for three hours as cops got their shit beat out of them and people stormed the Capitol, destroyed and stole property, pissed and shit all over the place. He wanted Pence killed. Why? Because Pence wouldn't overturn the election and the will of the voters. And ever since, he's been calling the rioters patriots, hostages, and has promised to give them a pardon if he becomes president again. So you tell me, where is the gray matter, whether or not this guy is an insurrectionist? 
The other thing that happened to Trump this week is he had a huge loss in the D.C. appeals court on immunity. And that case is going to the Supreme Court, likely. Trump has till Monday as part of this ruling to either request an en banc review in the appeals court or request the Supreme Court to review it, which they may or may not take the case. When you listen to people like Andrew Weissman, Neil Katyal, Ellie Honig, George Conway, Judge Michael Luddig, all of them, all of them predicting the court won't even take this case. And why? Because the language in the appeals court ruling is so clear, so airtight uh, and bipartisan, a three-judge panel, two Democrats, one Republican, and they made it very, very clear. I'm going to read a couple of things. For the purpose of this criminal case, former Tr President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant. But any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. But the money shot is, is here. Quote, it would be a striking paradox if the president, who alone is vested with the constitutional duty to, quote, take care that the laws be faithfully, laws be faithfully executed, end quote, were the sole officer capable of defying those laws with impunity. I mean, this is a no-brainer. It's an absolute, total slam dunk. It also may be one of the reasons why the liberal justices kind of like made nice-nice with the conservatives on the 14th Amendment because they're pocketing that currency for when this argument or debate occurs. So while Trump is very likely to get a big win on the 14th Amendment, he is very likely to get a big loss on this one. And this is the one, to me, that matters, folks. Because personally, I don't give a shit whether he's on the ballot or not. To me, he has no chance of winning. Zero. Bubkiss. Losing on immunity? That's huge. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely going to be a loss for him. The only problem with this is that it delays things because he has a, a good bit of time to delay this to appeal to the Supreme Court. I don't think they're going to take the case, though. So I think it will end quicker than them putting a calendar date on it. So um, the delay is only, you know, so many weeks. Okay, let's move on to big thing number two. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Every Memorial Day, we hold a service remembering him, attending by friends and family and the people who loved him. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away. Before we get into a discussion of this whole thing, I, I just want to say, as someone who lost a loved one to tragedy, a tragic death, the date of November 1st, 2006 is like a rancher's cattle brand on my brain. And I suspect it's the same thing for Joe Biden. And that's what he said. I, I think no matter how old you get, no matter how forgetful you get, that's probably one date you never forget. So this report came out yesterday. Special Counsel Robert Herr issued a report, which he, by law, uh, had to do 
and sent up to Attorney General Merritt Garland, who would then decide what to do with it. And in this report, he basically says Biden intentionally took documents, but we can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. But Joe Biden is old and forgetful. So a lot of editorializing there. Now, interestingly, in understanding the process again, if he's handing up this report, which he's obligated to do by law, to his boss, Merrick Garland, and he's not finding for an indictment, he has to sort of explain why. So I get that. So the real culprit here to me is Merrick Garland. Mm. Merrick Garland could have said, yeah, this report's fine. Just take out that bullshit about the old guy with a bad memory. Why the fuck Merrick Garland didn't do that? Imagine Bill Barr. Exactly. Bill Barr in this situation. Not only would he have said, take it out, he would have said, add in a sentence that President Trump has the best fucking memory of any president ever. You know, Biden's attorney was livid yesterday and, and issued a statement and said that Rob Herr and the Justice Department violated their regulations and norms and compared the special counsel's conduct to that of James Comey. Remember him mm. back in the fall of 2016? Well, this is what Rob Herr did and Merrick Garland did. The, the, the headline should have been Biden cleared, Biden exonerated. Instead, you open up the conservative papers today and it's Biden's old and feeble and has a, a, a poor memory. <clears throat> playing right into the hands, politically, of Trumpers. And so to answer all of this, Joe Biden gave a press conference last night. And there's been a lot of opinions of whether or not he was effective, whether he should have done it, whether he added to the controversy around his age and the problems that that might yield. And they said, you know, he appeared angry or he was combative. He screwed up. He confused Mexico and Egypt. Okay. Let me remind you, here's some of Donald Trump's greatest hits. Go drink bleach. He stared into an eclipse. He tweeted Kofivi. He confused Sioux City, Iowa for Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He confused Jeb Bush with George Bush. He thinks Obama is still president. He thinks Nikki Haley was House Speaker on January 6th. He's, he's warned that Joe Biden will get us into World War II. And guess what? He confused the leaders of Hungary and Turkey. So what do we have here? I'm going to speak to the voters out there for a second, because this is really, really important. Yes, both Biden and Trump are old guys with poor memories, but only one of them is a dangerous, corrupt, four times indicted, twice impeached, democracy-raping, dictator-wannabe, racist, rapist, sociopath. Now is not the time for false equivalencies. There, there are no false equivalencies because it doesn't matter what Trump says. Bingo. That's true. It's an early Valentine's Day present. Mm -hmm. It's a late Christmas present. This is the gift that we'll keep on giving for quite sure. some time. I thought that this report was a nightmare for Biden, and it will continue to be a nightmare. You know, a well-meaning elderly man with poor memory, at diminished facilities, and advancing age, this is a gift that we'll keep giving. 
for the Republicans. I don't think that the press conference helped much. It's more like a newspaper getting a terrible headline wrong and then putting a correction on page 36 mm-hmm. three days later. The headline is what people remember. You're right. It's fodder. Gives them ammunition. But two things. They don't need ammunition. In case you haven't noticed, kids, for the last several years, Donald Trump is just making shit up about Joe Biden at every turn. Before last night's press conference, we've heard constantly about the Biden crime family. We've heard Donald Trump accuse Joe Biden of being the most corrupt president in history. He doesn't need reports. He doesn't need press conferences. He doesn't need facts, data, reality, truth. So it just makes me laugh when people say, oh, this is going to give Trump. Trump doesn't need any help because he's a pathological liar. And he's going to say whatever the fuck he's going to say, no matter what. But here's what's most important. Next November, people have two choices. Yep, Biden forgot some shit. The other guy's a monster. And in the end... They're not going to pick the monster. Let's get to our winners and losers. My winner, the House of Representatives for failing to impeach Mayorkas. My loser, Biden's timing. After being cleared in the documents case, Biden missteps with mix-ups that compound anxieties about his age and memory. Uh, My winner is Putin for co-opting useful idiot Tucker Carlson for this interview we're going to see soon, which is going to be a clusterfuck of shit. My loser is Merrick Garland, actually, because this report was a disaster and this on the heels of him slow walking the insurrectionists. I mean, Merrick Garland has turned out to be a terrible attorney general. My winner, Jack Smith, who's getting closer and closer to an eventual conviction in the J6 election theft case. My loser, Mike Johnson, whose chaos and failure is starting to make former Speaker Kevin McCarthy appear strong, competent, and effective. All right, it's time for the weekly rant. I think we can safely conclude at this point that the Republican Party, to quote the great Billy Crystal in the classic film The Princess Bride, is mostly dead. That's because Republicans are full of anger, full of hate. They're sexists, homophobes, xenophobes, and racists. They hate women, gays, minorities, and immigrants. And they're consumed by fear, white replacement fear. They exist solely to disenfranchise voters, especially voters of color. It's why they want to stop immigration, because they myopically and insanely view it as nothing more than a giant Democrat conspiracy to increase the voter rolls. It's why they've become despicable, rage-fueled nativists who hate democracy And now think America's ready for dictatorship, because a dictatorship ruled by Donald Trump, himself a terrified, angry old white man with disdain for migrants and minorities, guarantees white dominance, white control, where white privilege is something to embrace and be proud of, and is not a source of guilt and shame. It's fact that Republicans are an old, bigoted breed that's rapidly becoming outnumbered and obsolete. So they should be afraid but not simply because of their party affiliation or because minorities and migrants are taking over, which they're not. It's because they and their party have grown woefully out of step with an overwhelming majority of Americans on critical issues like education, LGBTQ plus rights, abortion and choice, climate change, health care, and civil and voting rights. And yes, because they think it's time we had a fucking dictator. All right, it's time for Michael Cohen. 
He is the former personal attorney for Donald Trump and served for years as an executive in the Trump Organization. He is host of the Mea Culpa with Michael Cohen podcast and co-host of Political Beatdown with Michael Cohen and Ben Micellis podcast and is a two-time New York Times bestselling author. His latest book is Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics. He's also principal of crisis management firm Crisis X. Michael, welcome back into the back room. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to be in the back room. It's where everything happens. That's where the VIP. That's where the VIPs hang. In my case, it could be a very important part. <laughs> it's where all the important shit goes down. Got to be in the back. Oh yeah. You've been in the news a couple of times this week. <laughs> no <laughs> shock. <laughs> uh, all good, I think. The uh, Stormy Hush Money trial. You were spotted going into Alvin Bragg's office. I guess that's uh, imminent. People are saying. So that case will most probably be the first case that goes to trial. Um, the hope was that the Judge Chutkin case, the first Jack Smith case, mm -hmm. was expected to go to trial on March 4th. But due to all of the Trump delay, delay, delay tactics, and even if the Supreme Court rejects the upcoming filing of their writ of certiorari, meaning Trump's team's mm -hmm. writ of certiorari, I still don't think that that case uh, can end up going to trial before July, August. And th there's a problem with that, too, because assuming that it goes in August or even July, obviously the Trump team will make the claim that it's too close to the November election and it would be considered election interference. So he'll make a motion to postpone that case based upon election interference. I mean, they've really done a great job over three years. I mean, Trump's been running now for over two years mm -hmm. in order to make everything into election interference. But the Alvin Bragg case is already set for um, March 25th. And I don't suspect that that case is going to even go 30 days. Mm -hmm. There's only a handful of witnesses. There's a couple thousand pages of, of documents. Um, and I don't see a positive outcome for Trump. That could be the first case that actually holds Trump criminally accountable for his, for his actions and there's a, there's a really secondary interesting part here that nobody talks about. Judge Mershon is really known as a very fine justice uh, here in New York. And one of the things that he could certainly do, and he would be justified to do so, is if it returns a guilty verdict, he could remand Trump to prison pending any appeal. Mm. That is not outside of the scope of his authority. Well, I'm sure politics would play into that a bit. Um, not sure. <laughs> the other news that you were in this week is that Judge Arthur Ngoron bitch slapped Trump's lawyers. You want to talk about that a bit? Well, rightfully so as well. Between Alina Haba, Chris Kais, and Cliff Robert, you have three of the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet. All right. Um, what they basically did is they took one sentence out of, of an entire transcript and they tried to build 
the beach off of a grain of sand. Instead of giving the entire statement, they only took part of it, running out to the press. Because, again, they know that they're guilty. And so if you can't win in a court of law, at least try to win in the court of public opinion, where Trump has been incredibly successful in bilking his supporters out of millions. And I'm talking 50, 60, 100, 200 million dollars. He's been so good at bilking these maggot morons, these assholes with four teeth and three brain cells out of their out of their money. This is an opportunity for him to do the same. Mm-hmm. And, and Goron wasn't going to have any of it. Not only did Cliff Robert, this fucking hack from Uniondale, this like small claims, you know, civil litigator, not only did he attack Judge Ngoron and attack the system and attack the ability to introduce evidence, he came and he started to attack me again. And Ngoron wasn't having any of it, not just about me, about any of it. It's enough. The attacks are getting old. And it was absolutely, I forget the terminology that he used that's completely inappropriate to have introduced me into this argument once again. And they're just playing to a party of one. Yeah. I want to read to you, and for the listeners, part of Angoran's scathing rebuke to the lawyer. He said, quote, you have already submitted your post-trial briefs and made your final arguments. You're in... Your invocation of Michael Cohen's testimony and veracity is completely out of bounds. That's pretty cool. Because it's true. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. And I thank Judge Ngoron for making that statement because that is all that Donald Trump and his team have done as it relates to me. Attack, attack, attack. Try to impugn my credibility, you know, Every second that they could, uh, you know, you have Alina Haba walking the stage, you know, uh, hair extensions blowing, you know, shirt cut down to the navel, looking all pretty and perky. Oh, Michael Cohen, my favorite topic to talk about, right? This is, this idiot is now herself thrown under the bus. Why? Well, the fabulous lawyer that she is turned a $5.3 million verdict that's the first E. Jean Carroll verdict, into an $86.6 million verdict by her inability to control the Mandarin Mussolini's mouth, which gets his ass into trouble. But of course, as we all know, it's never Donald's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And so who's up in line for that one? Well, ha-ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba don't. I may need to... Just please ask you to be respectful how you talk about the future, Mrs. Donald Trump. I I agree with you. Yes, the future (laughs) ex-Mrs. Donald Trump. (laughs) I wonder who he would cheat on her with. That's probably... Oh, anyone. (laughs) Anyone. Anyone else that comes along. So let's talk about him. You have become a great nickname maker. You rank high up in the annals of nicknamery. So you have a new one. It's actually a twist on a recent one. Donald von Schitzenpants, but it is now Smelvis von Schitzenpants uh, after uh, Trump compared himself to Elvis. But I want to ask you, when you were working with him, does this Elvis thing go back decades or is this something new? No, 
No, it's something new. Somebody told him uh, in one of his, in one of their tweets or something that he resembles Elvis. Now, the funny thing is, which Elvis? Are we talking about young, vibrant, healthy, handsome Elvis? Or are we talking about the unfortunate, you know, um, drug-addicted, bloviated Elvis? Mm -hmm. Still talented, but nevertheless, you know, he, um, he packed on the weight. Which Elvis? Elvis are we talking about? Either way, Donald looks nothing like Elvis. In fact, mm -hmm. I think that the Elvis Foundation should sue him for defamation, too. Where and they should hire Roberta Kaplan to do it. Let me tell you <laughs> something. I've spoken to Roberta a handful of times. Let me tell you something. And when I say she's a beast, I'm saying it in the absolute most respectful of ways. Out of I'm, I'm in awe of Roberta Kaplan. She is incredible. I mean, what she did, by the way, as incredible as she is, I really want you to think about it. How did Donald Trump lose the first case? Forgetting about the fact that the judge already had previously ruled that he had sexually assaulted um, E. Jean. What was the deciding factor that really fucked Trump the most? And the answer is, when they were sitting at the deposition and he turned around and he said that it's not e that it was Marla Maples, not E. Jean, in that photo. Mm -hmm. Any claims that he had that he could have tried to make, she's not his type, mm -hmm. you know, he wouldn't go for somebody like her. You just compared E. Jean to your ex-wife. So it just go it shows how disingenuous and what a liar that the guy actually is. That was a pivotal moment in this case and one that Roberta Kaplan just pounced on mm -hmm. and used it to create an $86.6 million verdict. Mm -hmm. So we had two big legal things happen this week with Trump. One is the 14th Amendment hearing and the D.C. Appeals Court ruling on immunity. What is your takeaway from both of those things this week? Well, let's talk about the immunity claim, because that to me is the one that uh, I was a little more concerned with, uh, especially as we have a very rogue Supreme Court, you know, filled with um, progressives. Uh, hence, of course, the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision. Their answer was spot on. Nobody is immune from criminal activity, and there is no such thing as a lifetime presidential immunity. So um, I believe that that decision by the district court, which was so well written, I think it's like a 56-page decision, it is so well written that even this conservative Supreme Court probably won't even take up Trump's writ of certiorari, and that they will just affirm uh, the D.C. court's opinion. And I think it's extremely important because one of the issues that we all have to worry about is whether or not a future president, a Trump wannabe 2.0 like Ron DeSantis or so many others, would ever go so far as to effectuate like what Donald Trump talks about, having SEAL Team 6, mm -hmm. arrest you, throw you in Guantanamo Bay, or execute 
for example, the Joint Chief of Staff, Mark Milley, or the president of MSNBC. This is not normal talk, not from a president, not from a former president, not from anyone. And I think it goes to show that there is not the same two-tier system of justice that everyone's talking about, but we need decisions like this mm -hmm. in order to ensure the future of democracy. And I thought it was an incredibly well-written and a well-thought-out and well-outlined decision that did the work for this Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I think it, it's hard to fathom that they will take this case. And everyone from Andrew Weissman to Neil Katyal to George Conway, Ellie Honig, the consensus is that the court won't even take this case as, as yeah, they should. And they shouldn't. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that does not ensure that the Jack Smith case before Judge Chutkin will go forward on the anticipated March 4th date. No, it, but it, it's, it's likely it's, yeah, it will occur in well enough time before the election. I'm not so sure about that. Mm -hmm. You know, that one I give a 50-50. Mm -hmm. And that that's upsetting because these cases, in my estimation, should have all been brought mm -hmm. at least a year earlier. Could you imagine had they done that had these cases moved quicker? Mm -hmm. I mean, the January 6th case hasn't even moved forward. It's so voluminous. Thousand witnesses, mm -hmm. you know, before the January 6th committee. There's tens of millions of documents. So which ones are you going to choose? Mm -hmm. Which ones are you going to do? You know, it, that case hasn't even been scheduled yet. Well, in it fact, also didn't the, really get off the ground until Jack Smith was appointed, which is another travesty of justice. That, and like that, I said, if if a year, if we would have had an additional six months to a year, mm -hmm. all of these cases either would have been heard or ready for trial as we speak right now. So Donald Trump is in the process of choosing a vice president. And yesterday we learned uh, in her public uh, sales pitch for the job, Elise Stefanik, when asked what she would do when it came time to certify the results, she said, I wouldn't do what Pence did. So in her audition, she's basically telling Trump, pick me and I'll do what you wanted Pence to do that he didn't do. So I want to know, A, what do you make of that? B, what do you think of her actually being named his VP? And if it's not her, who do you think it will be? Look, she's, she's definitely in the short list. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. And she knows she's on the short list. Yeah, there are others that I can see. She fills the box uh, going with a female for vice president, hoping that that will attract back some of the women who he has offended or uh, who are angry over the road decision, and rightfully so. She's bright. I mean, she is Harvard. She's got the right CV. She's definitively a loyalist, and that's the part that she was making crystal clear. Mm -hmm during that statement or, you know, that job application that she's trying out for uh, using, you know, airwaves and media for. She wants to make sure that he knows that she is as loyal, that she will go to the mat for him. 
like a mob boss. She will go to the mat for him. I wouldn't have done what Mike Pence is. Let me tell you, forgetting about what Trump decides and so on, this should be an ultimate turnoff to every voter. Sure. Republican, Democrat, Independent. And when I say Republican, I'm talking about Republicans exclusive of the maggots. Because mm-hmm. no matter what, they're they're on Trump's side for whatever their reasons are, their you know, personal flaws. She is right now stating to the American people that I will violate the Constitution of the mm-hmm. United States of America because you say so, King Donald. Mm-hmm. And that's a selling and that's a selling point. <laughs> that's the to crazy the maggots. Mm-hmm. To the maggots. I don't believe that it's a selling point to Republicans mm-hmm. who are mid-road Republicans. I think it's a massive turnoff to the mass, mass, mass volume of independence. And Democrats can't stand her anyway. Mm-hmm. So well, the crazy thing is she used to her, be a moderate. She was a real moderate. Yeah. yeah. She, she took a well, weird listen, turn. The thought, Andy, the thought of money, power, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's intoxicating. And that's what she sees here. This is her opportunity to be a global leader, to be a, you know, um, if this was Rome, it would be one of the Senate members, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is where she is going to be running the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's the funny thing, too. Everyone that worked for Trump at the highest level in 2016 that were brought on, they all said the same thing. Trump is an idiot. And they thought that they could use him like a puppet in order to benefit themselves somehow, whether it would be to elevate their position of power, in money, whatever it might be. They thought of him as a useful idiot. Mm -hmm. Turns out the useful idiot is stupid, but not in the way that they wanted him to be stupid. Mm -hmm. He's more conniving and cunning than they are. Let's talk about his campaign for a second. A lot of people are saying that this time around, he's way more organized. It's way more efficient and effective than 2016. You agree with that? No, not in the slightest. Why? Uh, I think he has a piss poor team. Mm-hmm. The the one thing that they are successful at doing, they they just are, they were in 2016, and more so even now, and that's raising money. Mm-hmm. They have created a machine that. No matter what happens, Michael Cohen's on Andy Ostroy's show. Okay, Patriots, Michael Cohen is at again bashing, you know, your favorite president of all time, me, right? <laughs> we must stop this madman or these madmen and send me $25, $50. And if you do today send 100 or more, I'll send you this worthless piece of fucking plastic that has my name on it, spelled wrong, but nevertheless, it's still a Trump, you know, endorsement card. Mm -hmm. And you will be one of the very few select millions of people who have this card, right? And you could proudly show it off. That's what they do on everything. And it's automatic. That they have under control. But what else do they have under control? 
they haven't attended a single debate. Mm -hmm. The rallies, people are walking out of. Why? Because it's the same bullshit regurgitated again and again and again. And if you've ever been to a Trump rally or you've ever heard a Trump rally that was televised on top, same thing. They stole the election from us. We can't let that happen, can we? Bing, bang, boom, zoom. Just, 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 That's not bad. Right? I Maybe mean, you, got another you, know, career. you sit there. Yeah. <laughs> right? And the crazy thing is when he goes accordion hands. Yeah. That's the lie. Right? And I want you now to take notice of it. He's lying. Yep. And he uses accordion hands as a distraction so that you're not thinking so much about exactly what he's saying, but you're just watching the accordion. Yeah, the tell that he's lying is just literally his lips move. Yeah, it's a combination of both. But this is a form of distraction. And, you know, he, you know, he's got the whole thing going. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all good. They stole it from us. It's not me. I'm, I'm protecting you. Mm -hmm. And he goes on. And it's the same thing. It's a failed speech. And it continues to fail. It failed in 2020, and it'll fail mm -hmm. again in 2024. Watching you do that impression, I, I think you got a one-man show in your future. Be, Cohen does Trump. I'm going to be hosting this thing called The Five, and it's an off-Broadway mm -hmm. show that, uh, that starts in a, a couple of weeks. Uh, it's a satirical comedy of Donald Trump's five wives. Wow. Ivana, Marla, you then have... Melania, mm -hmm. Stormy, and mm. Ivanka. It's a it's a <laughs> musical comedy. Oh, you're going. They're going dark. And so, wait, you're yeah. you're hosting this? You're like an MC? Yeah, the, the opening of it. Oh, which I is gotta on go. President. I gotta go. I want to go. Yeah, I get you a ticket. All right. So, Nikki Haley, is there anything she could have done differently that might have ended in Trump not getting the nomination? She's attacking him now, but not enough. She's not mentioning the actual crimes, the indictments, the rape. She still won't go there. Should she go yeah, there? Um, she should have, but she would be in the exact same spot that she is right now. Mm -hmm. He was never, ever going to choose her because she's too strong of a personality. She's not willing to do the things that Elise Stefanik, that Tim Scott, that, you know, so that Marjorie Toilet Green or Lauren Holbert, you know, they're willing. If he turned around and told them, strip butt ass naked and go running through the Capitol with a Trump 2024 sign on your back, they would do it. They are complete and total loyalists to him. No matter what he wants them to say or to do, they don't care about the truth. They don't care about the repercussions and not just the repercussions to themselves or their party or the repercussions to America or democracy or our mm -hmm. constitution. They are total loyalists willing to do anything and everything that he says, just like MAGA Mike Johnson. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. I was actually going to be what I was about to ask you about, because they say you Trump— You think I can't read your mind? <laughs> after, seriously, after sitting next to this maniac Michael, for 15 years— you get Andy, me, Michael. You had me at hello. <laughs> you think so, that I don't okay. know Andy? <laughs> Andy? Andy's like this. 
He's just like this. Not more. I'm getting goosebumps and other things. <laughs> so MAGA Mike Johnson, apparently Trump is pulling the strings. He tells him, don't do the border deal. Knowing Trump the way you do, knowing that you probably were in the office while he made calls like that in the past, can you maybe enlighten us on what that call might have sounded like to Mike Johnson? Very simple. Can you do it in Trump's voice? It was a perfect call. I said, Mike, you can't do this, buddy. It's terrible for me. It's terrible for America. Damn, you're good. It's terrible for you. You'd be out of your mind to do it. Don't do it. It's not good. Trust me. It's not good. And that's the code. Mm -hmm. He's not telling him to bust it. Mm -hmm. He's just telling him it's not good for him. It's not good for me. It's not good for America. It's not going to work. And MAGA Mike, like anybody, can read through that third grade conversation because that's about how Donald speaks, like a third, fourth grader at best, and understands what Donald is telling him to do. It's not going to be as direct as the conversation with Brad Raffensperger. I need you to find me 11,780 votes. That's a lot of specificity. It's not the same thing here. I want you to go to so-and-so and kill that deal. I need that because we can't have Biden win or have a win that he could use, especially on a topic right now that is on everyone's mind, Republican, Democrat, and Independent. Mm -hmm. So he said it in a very mob-like way, because Donald is extremely paranoid, especially in light of everything that's, that's gone on, and especially in light of everything that's upcoming. He thinks that he's being recorded 24-7. So he thinks he's going to outplay the recording by not really saying anything specific so that he could say it was a perfect phone call. Because every phone call he's ever had was specific mm -hmm. or non-specific and perfect. Yeah, well, it's like you say, that's how the mob bosses do it. My last question, how the podcast doing, especially the new one with uh, Podcast are killing it. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, so mea culpa, you know, I switched mm -hmm. the RSS feed, so it's now the blue background, mm -hmm. uh, the icon with the blue background, where we're, we're absolutely, we're killing it. We're top, you know, still remaining top um, 50 podcasts. Um, most of the time it's in the top, 25, you know, these crazy algorithms mm -hmm. uh, in news podcasts. We're doing, I don't even know, half a million uh, downloads, um, you know, an episode, a million downloads a week. So if you're a listener of Andy's show, you want to hear some entertaining stuff. I've right now, Elliot Williams, I have uh, Rick Wilson is coming on. Uh, mm -hmm. That's dropping on Monday. Chris Eliza will be on. I have just, I mean, the Jamie Raskin episode is really second to none. He, he's he's really, truly a brilliant guy. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you, there's, there's a lot of this one. And then Political Beatdown that I do, that's Tuesdays and Thursdays live. I do that with Ben Micellis on YouTube. Part number one in the world in news during that hour and and top three in the world in all categories. I mean, that, that show is just killing it. And most importantly... Um, the brigaders that we call them, the political beatdown brigaders, um, every week or every episode, somebody gets the two-finger salute. And sometimes, you know, we get so 
into the conversation that I forget. And all of a sudden the comments start, you know, one after the other after the other. And there's tens of thousands of people just shooting comments every second. Don't forget your two-finger salute. Don't forget your two-finger salute. And to those people that don't know what that is, that's a that's kind of like a New York thing. You know, the two middle fingers mm-hmm. pointed up at somebody. Uh, it's become a it's become a big thing. Well, the back room was number seven in the Bahamas this week. So since I've allowed you to shamelessly plug your, your, your podcast on mine, you should return the favor and give me a shameless plug on yours. Absolutely. Hold on. Number seven. <laughs> hold, let me just write this down. Number seven in the Bahamas. In the Bahamas at Bahamar. We, we have also been ranking very high in Mauritania and Macedonia. We're killing it. We're killing it in the small, obscure countries all over the world. Uh-huh. I hear you are, though, number one in Mauritius. That's what she said. All right. <laughs> Michael, always and a I'm pleasure. I'm standing by it. <laughs> always a pleasure. Uh, look forward to the next time. Always good seeing you, my brother. Take care. Stay safe. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards and have a great week. We'll be right back.